love you. Oh, yeah. You'd best be Liam. afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have in the studio Tarfia Fazula here, here in the studio. <laughs> here in the studio. <laughs> right here, yes. speaking. Living into Flash. A, yeah, <laughs> Living Writer, Living Flash. <laughs> Welcome, Tarfia. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming down today. Um, and we've got your book, Seam. Um, it won the first book award from Crab Orchard series. Um, and so from the Let's see, I should say, the Southern Illinois University Press, and give a thanks to Lana Fritsch for sending along um, the books. Um, thanks for picking the songs for today's show, yeah, too. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was a fun exercise. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think about, I, I'm really obsessed with music, and I make playlists a lot, so it was pretty fun to think about. How did you put, how did you put this one together? Why, why did the song lead off the group, for example? Um... Well, I guess that's a song that I really find a lot of both inspiration and reminders of what actually matters. Um, and it feels to me like kind of a writerly song, too, because in the chorus she says, um, I can say that I hope it will be worth what I give up. And I think the process of revision is that as well as sort of making choices and understanding that when you make one choice, you're sacrificing another and trying to discern between why and how we make the choices we do, I guess. So, um, and I just think Santa Gold is really great. And I really like the way the song makes me, I don't know, I like the way the song makes me feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of, um, hard not to move a little bit. Yeah. When it was on. Yeah. Yeah. It's groovy. It, it, it yeah. Before we get too far along, um, I'm going to read the short bio in the back of the book and then we'll go from there. Okay. Talk about <clears throat> your story a bit, Tarfia. Tarfia Fazula was born in Brooklyn, New York, in 1980 and raised in Midland, Texas, by parents who had immigrated to the United States from Bangladesh in 1978. She has an MFA in creative writing from Virginia Commonwealth University. Her poems have appeared or are forthcoming in the Missouri Review, Ninth Letter, Blackbird, the Massachusetts Review, the Southern Review, and elsewhere. A Kunaman Fellow, she is the recipient of a Plowshares Cohen Award, a Fulbright Fellowship, a Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Prize, and scholarships from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Sawani Writers Conference, and the Kenyan Review Writers Workshop, and other honors. Um, Tervia, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So, so let's talk. Let's talk about some of these. Um, Let's talk about scene. Let's just start with a book and then go from there, cool. shall we? Sounds good. Um, so, so this is your first book of poems, mm -hmm. and it's um, it's anchored by a long sequence. Could you tell us, uh, like everyone, a little bit about 
the sequence or how yeah how it started? Yeah, um, so I started writing these poems in the I started writing the sequence in graduate school. Um, after I guess and see I, I was in graduate school in two thousand six. So the year before that, I had gone to a panel um, of writers who were speaking about international issues specifically, and there was a Bangladeshi writer by the name of Mahmoud Rahman. Um, he's a novelist. And he described this phenomenon that had taken place in Bangladesh of um, women in the 1971 Liberation War being raped or taken as um, sex slaves. And my family is Bangladeshi, and it was the first time I'd ever heard about that happening. And it made me sort of realize, I guess, in general, that I didn't know very much about um, the history of where my family came from. So it must have been quite shocking sitting there and even questioning his dates on it. Like, surely that must have been a long time ago or something. Yeah, how could right. this exist? Right, and then realizing with some alarm that the war had been pretty recently in 1971. And it just, it really, um, it was one of those moments where I felt like I woke into the world as it was, not as I was accustomed to it being. And, um, and I became really interested in why I hadn't heard about it or why there wasn't much discussion of it. And so I started writing these poems, um, I guess with, that history in mind. And the first poem I wrote towards Seam was actually a poem called Transcription that didn't make it into the book. That was a poem about um, the process of a young woman um, conducting a series of interviews and then listening to the transcripts of them later and trying to sort through them herself. And in so a way... you wrote this in 2006? Yeah. Like sketched it out, yeah. sort of imagined this scenario. Yeah, exactly. And um, I guess in a way it sort of became the blueprint of what I actually ended up doing yeah. in a way. Um, <laughs> so it's almost like I wrote the ending before <laughs> I wrote the beginning. You're sort of a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> P-R-O-F-I-T or, oh. or P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Um, yeah. And then... Um, and then by 2007, I had taken a class with um, Claudia Emerson, who was a visiting writer at VCU, where I did my MFA, and she taught a two-week seminar on the poetic sequence. And she was incredibly um, supportive of um, the project in those early in those early days, as well as really got me thinking about what a sequence can do, how a longer form can sort of almost be sort of like you know, kind of like discovering, you know, that stories are sort of like Russian nesting dolls and that you can sort of have stories inside of stories inside of stories. And there's something about the sequence that allows those sorts of stories that are nested inside of each other to unfold, but also kind of echo each other and be related at the same time. So um, it was in her seminar that I really started thinking about the form of the poetic sequence as maybe the right kind of form to um, do some of this work. And then, um, and then I hit, I guess, what I've described before as an ethical wall where I became aware of the fact that um, there were limits to what I could do um, both stateside as well as being aware of the fact that I'll, the women, the very women who I was sort of writing from the perspective of were alive still. And I don't know, I sort of wanted to know um, if it was possible to connect with them actually. Um, and then, and then I applied for a Fulbright and I was fortunate enough to get it. And then, you know, the sequence took a different life on 
when I started working on it over there. Could we pause for one second and kind of rewind to sure. this this moment where you had you so going back to like oh like finding out about this in a like a literary panel or so this historic moment mm-hmm. how did you start like did you start by asking your family because did you say was this part of the reason we immigrated <laughs> or like i cuz that's i'm kind of wondering about that origin moment for you and that reckoning with your family on on such a like a painful yeah uh, subject yeah um i did ask my family first um I think I asked my mom first, and my mom was very young during the war, and that was the other thing that was sort of shocking. The first poem in Seam is actually, it, yeah. yeah um, I had a conversation with her, you know, where I was asking her about what she remembered during the war, and she was an, she was eight years old, barely, and so, of course, she didn't necessarily have a sense of what was happening, um, but she remembers, you know, certain things about that time that really struck me as being sort of like in some sort of, I guess, beautiful conflict with what was actually going on. So the first poem in the um, book is actually a poem about my mother remembering um, watching my grandmother bathe. Because when I asked her what she remembered of the war, she started talking about, um, you know, she remembered um, freedom fighters coming through and um, my grandmother sort of stretching out you know, meals to be able to um, help feed them. And, but what she really remembered was watching my grandmother bathe and the, this beautiful ritual of my grandmother bathing in the pond behind their house. And so that seemed crazy to me that both things were happening at the exact same moment in time in the same landscape. And, um, and it really, yeah, it really changed the way I, I guess, felt about a lot of things like about lineage and what we inherit and, how, you know, what stories we pass on and what we don't and why and why <clears throat> the story of these women had been left out, it seemed like in some ways is because it was sort of like there's a lot of shame around it. And I struggle, I don't know, I struggle all every day with my relationship to shame. And so I felt sort of like, I don't know, it was a really interesting opportunity to... um I don't know, do some unearthing, I guess, or do some excavating of um, why we um, are uncomfortable with um, acknowledging certain stories over others and perpetuating those narratives, I guess. And when you mention shame, Tarfia, what what do you mean about, like, I, like I, that's a pretty strong thing to say. I struggle mm-hmm. every day with, with shame. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess what I mean is that um, I feel sort of like there's, hmm, I'm trying to figure out how to approach this because I did get myself into like (laughs) really tricky, tricky water there. But um, no, no, it's, and you don't have to, we can, we can swim away. (laughs) Well, I think it's an interesting question because um, it's it's something I want to think about um, because, yeah, I guess I sort of feel like we all live in this world where there is who we are supposed to be or who we believe we're supposed to be and then who we actually are. Um, and then there is what we hope happens to us and then what actually happens to us. And I guess I feel sort of like my relationship to shame is that, um, I don't know, like I, I, I realized that the process of writing seemed that one of the things I wanted to do was, um, you know, lose my own sense of sort of like 
embarrassment about harder things that had happened to me or um, just harder things out in the world in general to sort of face it head on rather than um, sort of being like, oh, like that's a that's a thing that I feel complicated about. So I'm going to put it away into the darkness or stop thinking. Yes. Yeah, or stop thinking, thinking about, about it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems like I, I feel like in an interview, um, maybe with the Paris Review that you did, mm-hmm. um, where I think there's like this idea of connecting um to the Biragona mm-hmm. women in this this idea of feeling um like having it seems like this idea of identity and and having and living like having this this understanding maybe um where you said you were growing up in West Texas mm-hmm. and maybe not fitting in to like uh easy categories mm-hmm. that were surrounding you there yeah. for example yeah and 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 even thinking about how i think you also were um like this identity where um being a bangladeshi american mm-hmm. right but then also bangladesh being a relatively new nation that had broken apart from pakistan and pakistan and your grandparents they them feeling more pakistani because when they were growing up for most of their lives that's what they were so this idea of place and identity yeah yeah absolutely I have um, one of my uh, most precious possessions is uh, my grandmother's passport from when Bangladesh was still Pakistan and um, it's it's incredible to to remember or to be reminded that um, the world I was born into, which is a world in which Bangladesh was already its own country, and there was some sense of what that meant. Um, very different from the world my grandmother grew up in, um, because she lived to actually she lived through the you know actual violence um, and was witness to you know the actual violence of that, I guess like origin, um, and whereas yeah so. Well, and she was part of it. She helped the freedom fighters. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and and thinking about that, too, sort of being, I don't know, becoming aware of my grandmother as not just, you know, the person we would go visit around holidays who would be really kind to me and, you know, kind of like force feed me to eat all sorts of delicious things. That's a very, in some ways, different, but, but the same woman who um, made... Um, decisions, sometimes difficult decisions um, during difficult times. And yeah, I think like I wanted to honor that somehow um, to not to, to I guess like I'm, I'm sort of interested in how poetry can help us both remember and let go at the same time, you know. Um, and I felt like seem helped me. I guess, even make that distinction between remembering and letting go. And is that why you chose the epigraph that you chose for the book, Tarfia? Um, Everything is near and unforgotten. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I love Paul Ceylon, and I think one of the things that I really respond to in his work is this, this sort of like, I don't know, really interesting question about what time is and what it does, and what it means to move on from something, but still be aware that you know, that of, of the other world that existed before this one. Um, and I love that idea of everything being near and unforgotten because it feels to me like there's no judgment in that statement. Um, there's no sense of whether or not it's a bad thing for something to be near and unforgotten or a good thing. It's, um, I think, really um, profoundly ambivalent um, and felt to me like a really 
And because Paul Ceylon himself, I mean, part of the truth of the 1971 war is that it was a genocidal war. And, you know, while the obvious, the relationship between Bangladesh, you know, say me, you know, Bangladeshi American Muslim and a Jewish Holocaust survivor may not be obvious at first. I mean, I think we both, um, one of the reasons I really resonate with Paul Ceylon is because he felt like he was aware of so much more than he could say. And it seemed like his project was this attempt to translate um, what is inexpressible, you know? And um, I felt really moved and inspired by that idea, yeah. Let's take a short break. Today okay. on Living Writers, Tarfia Fazula is here. Her book of poems, Seem. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got the Liz behind the glass. We'll be right back. you're just tuning in. I'm glad you did. Today on the program, Tarfia Fazula is here. Her book of poems, Seem. Um, so the song at the break, Tarfia, could you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, it's a live version of Who Knows Where the Time Goes by Nina Simone. Um, again, like Ceylon, Simone, Nina Simone, I think, is just such a visionary. And um, I find a lot of solace and strength in her music in general. But the live version of the song is great. Um, if you get a chance, you should listen to the whole thing. Because in the beginning, before the song starts, she kind of meditates out loud about time for a while. And um, one of the things she says is, um, time is a dictator as we know it. And at first when I heard that, I was thinking about how time is sort of a dictator in the sort of governmental or autocratic sense. Oh, yes. But, yeah. um, Get to the next appointment. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But then I was thinking about dictation, like the act mm. of chronicling or documenting. And um, 
I don't know. So there was an interesting idea there too. So it's a song that that's um, much more. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's more abstract and interesting, isn't it? Like, oh, what is time saying now? Right. Yeah. Exactly. What does time have to tell us this time around? No pun intended. Maybe pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a song that I again, like, I'm I'm really interested in the question of time, and um, and it's a song that I feel like. I don't know, sort of like is oddly reassuring in its uncertainty. You know, the question that it asks is who knows where the time goes and there's no real answer for that. And yet, you know, I feel reassured by the awareness that someone else in life was also like, who, where does it go? Where does it actually? go? What does yeah. it do? And she asks this beautiful question again in the intro before she starts singing where she says, what does it do? Is it, a, most importantly, is it alive? And that's a great question. Yeah, like, isn't it? Wow. Oh, yeah. What a G, Nina Simone, man. Yeah. So. Well, and it's it's interesting because you can experience it, but you can't explain it. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. it feels like that's sometimes what the poem is attempting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to document the experience of time, which is sort of like, you know, like I feel like we sort of experience time in some ways by schedule, but there's also what happens when there's no structure like that at all. You know, what we're capable of doing when we, you know, sort of like decide to do whatever we want with time. That's, yeah. you know, interesting things happen. Well, like how it sort of dis- disappears if you're, if you're working, like if you're mm-hmm. writing something or yeah. painting or making a song, right? it can just disappear. Right. It almost doesn't exist. It's amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so questions, um, the, you, you mentioned questions, bring this up, Tarfia. Um, so questions are driving this book because as you also mentioned earlier, um, you went to Bangladesh, um, as part of this project to mm-hmm. talk to women who had survived, um, being raped during the liberation war of mm-hmm. 71. Um, and so the book seem is full of questions, I guess, out of necessity in part, because, um, how you're structuring this is the interviewer is a character in the book. Yeah. Um, so can you, yeah, what, what so, I mean, maybe could you talk a little bit about this idea of the interviewer and the questions maybe even the experience sure um so um it's funny that one of the kind of um funny inspirations for this kind of sense of an interviewer the the character of an interviewer um and having a conversation with an interviewee actually came from the movie Interview with a Vampire, which I don't know if you remember this movie from the 90s. But um, surprised you didn't pick a song from it that we could have played. Oh, I should have. Oh, man. Uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, not familiar with the soundtrack, though, right? But, um, but one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about it or, you know, I started thinking about um, when I started working on scene was that in the movie you know, Christian Bale's character and Brad Pitt's character are in a room while Brad Pitt talks about the past, basically. And so you experience two timelines in the movie. You experience the timeline in the present where the conversation is happening, as well as the story um, as it has happened to one of the interviewees. And so I was really interested, I guess, in that trying to apply that same duality of time or the experience of time to the interviews, um, the poems I wrote. And um, so that was one thing that um, was part of the experience was thinking about what happens in a conversation um, 
as the world sort of continues on around it, I guess. And, um, but yeah, so I sort of started writing these poems and then like we talked about, I got kind of stuck and then I went to Bangladesh and, um, and started to try to find women who would be willing to talk to me about what they had been through. That seems like it would have been incredibly hard. Like, yeah. This is a noble <laughs> research aspiration, but then doing it. Yeah, it's not like you can take a Craigslist ad, ad out for something like that. So that was an interesting part of the process, too, was asking questions again about, um, you know, like and trying to figure out and being very failing to ask the right questions and realizing that I had to ask different questions in order to get to where I said I was going to go, which was to ask, to make contact with women who had gone through this experience. And um, eventually, though, I ended up talking to, it's funny, actually, another person who was on the Fulbright, she was there to study the way that textbooks change in Bangladesh, depending on who's in power. And so I tagged along with her to visit somebody that she had made contact with, who was a scholar who works for a university there. And um, he asked me what I was doing, and um, I told him, and he said, you know, I know somebody who um, she runs um, kind of a center that she made for these women, um, and let me let me call her and see if she might want to talk to you. And I was just like, what? That's insane. And it seemed like an amazing moment, too, to sort of have strangely been at the right place at the right time um you know and I was just again like I had no I was sort of like flailing myself as to how to move forward and it was kind of amazing to um have have my I guess like query answered like that and so um so he took me out there um I met with her she's an amazing woman her name's Safina Lohani and she um was a freedom fighter during the war and after the war was over her husband fought during the war too and they wanted to do something and there were a number of women in their community who had been through this experience and so she's created basically kind of a safe house sort of safe place for them and um she introduced me to a number of women who um this horrible thing had happened to and so, um, you know, Wait, yeah. Um, and so you said they created a safe space for them. So it's like, why, why would this even be necessary? Why wouldn't their own homes be safe right. spaces? Um, which reminds me, would, would you, would you mind reading one of the poems? No, like, or it, cause there is one, um, that I'm, I don't know. Usually I don't make requests, Tarfia. Oh, please do. That'll be really <laughs> helpful to me. <laughs> but um, but I was thinking of the one where the grandfather actually is, is, sends the woman yeah. away. Um, I'm not sure if, if we can find it. Yeah, there it is. is it th- okay. Okay. Interview with the Barangana. Many of the Barangana had children by Pakistani soldiers. Did you have a child as well? Besides... I did not have the right hands to hold her close. The blood spilled from within me, out onto the bamboo mat, a red shroud. Besides, she could not feed at my breast, unwilling hollow of flesh, veined like our country's many rivers. My country, yours. Was it hers? She grew whole inside me like a lychee. My belly, a hard shell, broken open by her soft, wailing flesh. Besides, I did not want his, or his, or his child inside me, outside me, beside me. Never will she know that I cupped her head and began to press hard, but stopped. That I lay her 
between cotton and dirt floor, placed the tip of my finger over her beating heart. Thank you, Tarfia. We'll, we'll take a short break and then we'll come back. Today on Living Writers, Tarfia Fazula is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Tarfia Fazula is here. Um, we Before the break, we got to hear one of the poems um, in the, the interview um, uh, series sequence. And Tarfia, do you mind reading another? Not at all. Interview with the Barangana. After the war was over, what did you do? Did you go back home? I stood in the dark doorway, twilight, my grandfather's handprint raw across my face. Byadob, he'd called me. Troublemaker. How could you let them touch you, he asked. The pomade just coaxed into his thin hair, a familiar shadow of scent between us, even as he turned away. Leave. Don't come back, he said. I walked past his turned-away back, past fresh-plucked lychees brimming yellow baskets past mother on the doorstep sifting through rice flour, refusing or told not to look up, though the new president had wrapped me in our new flag, a red sun rising across a green field. You saved our country, he said. I said nothing. The dark rope of mother's shaking arm was what I last saw before I walked away. No, no, not since. Thanks for reading that, Tarfia. Thank you. So, so this is then from one of the interviews with, um, would it be with like one person's story that that's sort of the, you wouldn't combine stories. Like this would be one person's voice from one interview. Was that part of, or, or yeah, is that, because it seems like 
Let me ask two questions, yeah. and then you can decide what you want to answer. Sure, sounds good. <laughs> because the other impression I had while re- like reading the book and then listening to these two poems was that the these women really trusted you. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how long it took to build up that trust. Well, um, it's interesting because the poems, the, the poems in the sequence themselves come from, I guess, kind of like are the result of a, a hodgepodge of approaches, and some of them are overlapping. Some of it is from transcripts. Some of it is from observation. Some of it is from imagination. Some of it is picking up on things I read about in history books about what had happened. Um, and so, yeah, there there are kind of a number of things that are that kind of happened there process wise um, to make the poems as they are. Um, but I definitely felt very um, I like the word trusted. I definitely felt like there was rapport between us. Um, and some of that was developed because we didn't always talk about what had happened to them. Sometimes they were really curious about me, for example. And so one of the things that's missing from Seam actually, um, is conversations, you know, between me and uh, a number of the women I spoke to that were really casual and funny and really about quotidian day-to-day stuff, like what I like to eat, you know, did I have a boyfriend? I mean, you know, there was a lot of curiosity there. And, you know, one of the other things that I think is really true that really blew me away, of course, was that when I first started kind of conceptualizing the project when I was, before I went to Bangladesh, um, you know, I think there was an aspect of, you know, in some ways not knowing what I was going to find, but sort of, I guess, like, I sort of realized how limited my way of thinking about them had been. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect, and so, but I had, I guess, like, what I realized were sort of, like, superficial understandings of what it meant to be either a survivor or a victim or a martyr, and then, of course, I get there, and these women are people in the world, you know, who are, who have parts of communities who have neighbors who have desires and frustrations and who clean their houses and who have friends, you know, and they all have different experiences. Some women, you know, really felt the stigma of what had happened to them really keenly, both in terms of their communities and their families. Some of them were kicked out by, you know, their families because of, because there was a sense of, you know, well, this is a shameful thing that happened. And, you know, and then other other families, um, other women I found had really supportive, um, you know, families and um, really loving children. Um, I met a, well, I didn't, I guess I, I met her, but she wasn't conscious. Unfortunately, she was in a coma. And um, so I met her daughter and her daughter was really lovingly taking care of her. And, um, and so, I, yeah, I felt sort of like really humbled by just the range of experience and the realization of course you know, the obvious realization really that um people have all sorts of different experiences and um are just trying to you know in some ways live as noble a life as possible and the daughter you mentioned um of the woman in a coma was this a daughter who would have been birthed after a a, a rape during yeah this this yeah. war yeah, I imagine so. Or I don't know, actually. I don't know. Um, you know, but she spoke to, I guess, sort of like she had a really interesting awareness of what her mother had been through. Um, so it was something they talked about. Yeah. She had shared yeah. that story with right. her daughter. Yeah. So she could know the history of it. Right. 
Yeah. And another woman, you know, she asked me something that really, really blew me away. She sort of was like, you know, a number of people have come here asking questions. What are you going to do with your pen? Oh. Yeah. And it was a real call to um, really consider my responsibility with what I was, what materials I was gathering and what my intentions were with them. And I still think about that. Um, I I still sort of ask myself that question. What am I going to, what am I going to do with my pen? And I don't always, I don't always know the answer. What did you say to the woman in the moment? Can you remember? Um, you know, I really don't remember. I was so focused on what she had asked me, but um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't remember what I said exactly, but I do remember whatever I said seemed to reassure her, and she kept talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's sort of the thing. I felt it was really important for me not to just go in and say like, okay, I have these questions and I'm going to check them off a list. I really wanted to get to know them. I wanted to understand um, what it was to have, to, to live, um, to live in the world and have tried to make the best out of it when you've been the recipient of such, you know, a terrible part of it. Did you send them a copy of Seam, or do, do you know if any of the women have read it? Or um, uh, is it Sophia Lynn or so the Safina? Safina, yeah. Safina. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I have to say that I was in touch with them for a little while when I first got back, and then life sort of took over in the way that it does, and I haven't um, touched much base recently, but I am planning a trip to Bangladesh, so um, it'll be the first time I will have gone there since um, my time on the Fulbright years ago. So, And was that your first time going when you went on the Fulbright, or had you been before? I'd been before. My um, parents, we would go to Bangladesh every year, every other year or so to visit my extended family there, my grandmother so and that's aunts why and uncles. When you yeah. saw your grandmother, she would be trying to feed you. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that would be in Bangladesh. And so um, pull your hair off your beautiful face. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Grandmotherly type things, you know. Um, but yeah, I've sort of, I don't know. I, it's, I'm really interested, kind of curious myself about why I've kept my distance. I think that year was really. Um, if I'm being absolutely honest about it, that year was really overwhelming in a lot of ways. And when I got back, I just, I don't know, like I wasn't entirely sure. I had to sort of recover this new sense of myself because I really felt like I changed that year as a writer, as a, as an artist, as a person. Um, and then when I came back into, it felt like re-entry, you know, like a year away in a very different type of environment and culture. Um, I felt sort of strangely distant from the world here. And so when I got back, I kind of wanted to be as present as possible here. And when you got back, is that when you were shaping the manuscript that Mm -hmm. became Seam? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you're still with the material. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe Uh, finding the poems within it at that point or the... Yeah, it was interesting because I came back from Bangladesh with a number of directions the book could potentially go in and a stack of like a hundred something plus, you know, pages of, I mean, I'm loath to call all of it pages of poetry, but pages with writing on them. And, (laughs) and eventually I started, um, or I guess kind of right away started, um, immersing myself and trying to see what, what could come of it. Um, cutting, cutting away things, revising, um, you know, sort of like, figuring out what was 
um, a question I ask myself a lot when I'm editing or revising is what is necessary and what is indulgent. So I was asking myself that question a lot as I was sifting through these these pages, trying to figure out what relationship they have they had to each other, if any, and what they could what what they could be. And Seam went through a number of versions before it became this final version. Yeah, and and it seems like um, uh, that. I read somewhere that you said that one of your your goals was to also have the integrity of the poem, like each poem, even though part of even of a poetic sequence and and part of a larger manuscript, each poem could stand alone and would Mm -hmm. have integrity in the world, like the story to tell. Yeah. Why does that matter to you? Well, I guess I think. hmm, Why does that matter to me? I suppose it matters to me because. I feel like, I mean, in a way, I really equate my process through poetry with kind of coming to deeper and broader understanding of myself and my relationship and proximity to the world around me. And so I feel like, I don't know, it's sort of like it matters to me that when whatever it is that I'm doing, that I'm trying to live up to my own expectations um, and my own standards of behavior or um, action. And so it mattered to me that you could, you know, break a piece of, you know, break a poem away from the entire collection and that you could have an experience that, um, that was individual that was not dependent upon the rest of the book. Um, it mattered to me that it still maintained the integrity of being a true collection of poetry where you can pick it up and read a poem in the middle and close the book and put it back down and that you don't necessarily have to read through the whole thing in order to get a sense of it. Even the sequence of the poetic sequence with the interview. Mm-hmm. It yeah. It worked that way. Yeah, um, because I felt like one of the things that um, I sometimes talk to my students about is understanding or trying to identify the center of gravity in your work and understanding what potentially rotates around that center of gravity. And so the war and what happened to these women is definitely one of the fulcrums or sort of like anchors. But I feel like I wanted to try to capture some dimensionality of what happens around that and offer not just one version of the story, but, um, you know, at, at least a handful it seems like there's um, layers of relationship, like there's um, not only national and these changing identities um, or, or your own identity with like, that we've already talked about, um, but also relationship with women. So mm-hmm. your mother, um, your grandmother, your mother's relationship to her mother. Yeah. Um, so that seems also to be. One, and then also obviously connected to the women who um, the the Baragon I feel like I'm not saying this correctly Baragon Baragona uh, yeah Baragona yeah um, and so that feels really important as a thread mm-hmm. throughout this like the elegy to your grandmother yeah so it's like very very personal yeah absolutely absolutely yeah I think that um, I've been thinking a lot about. Susan Sontag saying in regarding the pain of others that compassion is an unstable emotion and this goes back in some ways to shame I guess but um, I don't know we're hard on ourselves and we're hard on each other as people I think and for me to be able to sort of like look at my mother and my grandmother outside of the confines of their designated relationships to me or roles and be able to see them as whole people who have 
their own earned and lived histories really mattered to me um, and really helped me sort of like, I guess, you know, like I think in some ways my year in Bangladesh really made me grow up in some ways because um, I think I was still kind of childish and in, in my expectations of the world being sort of static and mother meaning one thing, grandmother meaning another, you know, woman meaning, you know, only the things that we're told being a woman means. And so I felt like the project of Seam and being in Bangladesh as a woman myself in a um, really complicated um, culture there, really interesting climate, um, made me sort of aware of um, how, in some ways, how readily I've let myself play into preconceived notions. And so it felt mm -hmm. to me like, you know, pushing back at, or sort of like, uh, you know, demanding myself to, think of myself as human and not just these designated categories. Yeah. And then how, like with that, that doesn't seem like it's a one-time realization either. No. Because you kind it of, comes in waves, doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Or you have to remind yourself. Yeah. To yeah. remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's take a short break okay. and then we'll come back. Today on Living Writers, Tarfia Fazula is here. Her book on the table with us, Seam. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Uh. Yep. Okay, I'm Rambo. I ramshack. I'm next to that cheese like rat traps. On top of that green like grass ass. That's over your head like snapbacks. I get in where I fit in. Put up, then I put in. Trying to find an ass. I can put my fucking... Run this shit. No, I run this shit. Don't give one fuck. Run this shit. I did what I say I did. Did not fabricate one bit. I have been the fucking realist since my exit near the clip. Yeah, that's when I was born. What you want? All about me, bitch. What you doing? Round of applause, bitch. I be with some clap, bitch. my whole fat bitch and chappers. I be running this shit like a motherfucking tracker. Like I run on sins like a... Chapel like a cheetah in a jungle, but I'm motherfucking fast like a preteen boy in a church with a pastor. Holla, I'm not serious, I'm just playing psych. Fuck your opinion, bitch, I mean it when I'm saying that. Money and my money is the only shit I'm after. You can cut the fake shit, I'm the motherfucking actor. I'm on top of my green like a motherfucker. Ooh, welcome back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Tarfia Fazula is here. Um, but, we, you know, thinking about poems took a little bit longer break that maybe we should have. Um, <laughs> but it's good to be back, and it's so exciting to be having another quarter of an hour with you, Tarfia. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, it's been great. It's been, you know, you're always, come on back. <laughs> awesome, I will. Now you know where we are. Yeah, um, I've never been down here before. It's great. It is, <laughs> it's definitely its own place. Yeah, right? there's a tambourine. It's exciting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One of many wonders. <laughs> Um, Tarvia, I was when I was reading Seam, I, I noticed that this this moment um, coming instructions for the interviewer. Um, so it's about mm, maybe almost midway, not quite midway. Um, and uh, there's there's a couplet. So this is this is um, one of the several poems that are in couplets. Um, you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but for no, I forget. It's been a second. <laughs> um, and so this couplet says that inside you is not hollow, but seam, color of the rim of the river, and then continues to another couplet. So this this lovely moment where you're introducing, I think, the only time that seam is named within the book. Not that I went through with like a word search or anything, yeah. but I don't know. Um, 
I love that because it feels and that that it's connected to river because it, it reminded me of the earlier poem with your mother watching your grandmother in a pond. So this idea of like this green water, this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so so was that something that was very like so vital to you? Like this idea of not hollow and this this seam or this con- interconnection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm glad that, because Seam is in the book a few more times, but I'm glad that... Oh, great. Sorry. No, no, I'm actually really <laughs> glad because, of course, one of the things that I worried about was whether or not I overdid it. So I'm glad to know that that didn't necessarily seem true. Um, <laughs> At least for this one reader. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'll talk a little bit about the title um, in general, which was sort of given to me by a friend, a good friend. Um, I was really struggling. It was called Heroin for a while, but that didn't seem really right, you know, because maybe that sort of desert suggested that the other implications yeah um war heroin right but i felt sort of like um in some ways it it might imply that the speaker considers herself to be a heroine and that felt not right and kind of further away from the point and then it was called interview with the brungana for a while but that didn't seem broad enough because there are other things going on in the book and then too close to a vampire yeah exactly like just like that weird echo exactly um and then my friend amanda abel she um she read the she read the current version of it and she's like what about seam and i loved that idea immediately and because it sort of really got at um something i guess sort of like that i really experienced myself which was this awareness of like you know lines borders or boundaries being thin and sort of arbitrary and how a seam sort of like connects and divides at the same time. And because Bangladesh is, you know, like you mentioned rivers and Bangladesh is known as the country of rivers. Um, it's, you know, a lot of things happen at the river. A lot of life happens there. And, um, I looked it up and seam also, um, specifically means where, um, uh, two bodies of water meet in a river. So I really liked that idea too, of being able to, even see seem sort of connected to, um, you know, this idea of water and And geographical um, geographical. Yeah. yeah, But, um, but yeah, that sort of sense of, you know, a seam being sort of like almost like a thing, a thing you could take for granted, you know, Mm -hmm. a a thin enough line that, um, if you weren't looking, you may not be aware of it. Like I think about how, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't necessarily pay attention to, you know, the seams in my own clothing. And so it also felt to me like seam felt like a, thing that um does a lot of work um but doesn't get a lot of credit i guess yeah yeah even another spelling of it it's like it's this one something i don't know you think you might think history is one thing and then it's another Mm -hmm. story altogether or you might think this is one country but then it becomes a different country altogether yeah yeah exactly i never thought about before that's cool um so what are you working on now um, I just finished my second book. It's called Registers of Illuminated Villages. And um, and I'm, aside from that, I'm sort of working on some painting, some visual art stuff, um, while I wait for, I guess, the... And I'm, I'm working on some new poems and also going back into some older ones, too. Would you read us one of the new ones? Sure. <clears throat> um, let me see. Um... I'm going to read um, this poem because I, it feel, I feel like it connects to some of the stuff we've talked about already today. And this is a poem that comes um, closer towards the end of the book. It's called Mother. And it's a prose poem for 
for those of y'all who care about such things. And could you say the, t- the title of this book again? Registers of Illuminated Villages. Yeah. So this is Mother. I woke alone in an ambulance. I had been dreaming of cat-sized blood ants in my blood's homeland. The women there who undrape wet and green fields from their torsos while the words orphan and widow are whispered. They looked like my mother. It was cold and what used to be my arm ached. Centuries or hours later, I woke alone in a bed not my own. Nails were hammered to cohere my splintered shoulder. Cotton was pushed between my legs to staunch that month's moon blood. Eventually, I remembered that light can't be brushed from anyone's shoulders. I began to wonder why the ocean inside the drunkard never sleeps. So I left the safe blankness of those walls and hobbled to where the world was free. I sat below a tree. It had fallen asleep inside of a child while cannons fired across fields of cotton. The child knew how to salvage the tree's branches into furniture of war, to sand them into planks and hammer them across her windows with unbent rusted nails. It had been a long time since she'd seen the ocean. She was used to drinking smoke. Each time a branch grows back, she told me, I shake. I asked if she knew where my mother was. The child put her hand on my shoulder and touched her saw to my softest place. Eons or seconds later, I found her, my mother, the napping tree in the village inside of me. She woke and held out her arms. She folded me back into fifths, lay me in my sweet acorn cradle. She wrapped my favorite blanket, a black leaf, around me. Thank you, Turfia. Thank you. Furniture of war. Furniture of war. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this this latest um, uh, is it, is it so is it already a book, Turfia? It's is already it? a book. It's coming out in 2018 with Grey Wolf. Oh, excellent. Because I was I was just going to be a little bit like, oh, we should have had that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not a, it's not a wholly for, it's, fully formed book in that sense yet. No. Okay, yeah. but it's a, so how like have you like how long was that book in the making? What was the process of that one? Because oh, it man. seems like it might have been a very different book than or is a very different book than Seam. It is a very different book um, than Seam, though I think like in some ways it's sort of I guess kind of like. A prequel in some ways. I've actually been working on this book um, longer than I worked on Seam. Seam sort of showed up and was like, pay attention to me. Right. And, I, and I listened and then um, went back to um, went back into this. And so I've been working on this book, I guess, for almost 15 years in some way or another. It's um, yeah. And there's a there's a there's actually a sequence in this book called Soliloquies from the Village of Widows and Orphans that's based on another thing about the 1971 war, um, which is this, um, that um, there's a village in Bangladesh where the army killed every single male in the village and um, there was not a single man left. And so it's called the Village of Widows. Um, so there's sort of like a, I guess, sort of like a connection to seem, but it does feel um, very different in nature. Um, and scope. This poem definitely feels like the surreal yeah. is at work. Yeah, I definitely feel that way too. There's actually another poem in here that I wrote um, and then ended up revising for Flint um, after hearing about the water crisis there. Um, so it feels sort of like it, it feels both 
some of the poems definitely use the surreal to do what they do. Um, but it feels sort of like it's taking on more of the contemporary moment, whereas maybe Seam is sort of a little bit more past gazing. Do, do you have the, the poem for Flint? Yeah. Um, actually, I've got one memorized, so I could just do oh, it. Oh, the Flint. Yeah. Do you mind? No, not at all. Um, it's called I Told the Water for Flint. I told the water, you're right. The poor are broken sidewalks we try to avoid. Told it, the map of you folds into corners small enough to swallow. I told the water, you only exist because of thirst. But beside your sour membrane, we lie face down in dirt. The first time my father threw me into you, I was hieroglyph, a wet braid caught in your throat. I knew then how war was possible, the urge to defy gravity, to disarm another. I knew then we would kill to be your mirror, you black-eyed barnacle, you graveyard of windows. I told the water, last night, I walked out onto the ice, wearing only my skin. You couldn't tell me not to. Thank you. Thank you. Is It seems like um, that poem feels different now that it's in your body. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to reading it from right. the the page. Yeah, for sure. How so? Well, um, I've started memorizing some of my poems as kind of an experiment to see what happens when the poems live in my body. And it's really changed my revision process in some ways. And it also feels to me like, um, you know, I've, I feel like in some ways... I've spent my whole life being really cerebral and being really kind of like quiet and thinky. And so I've been sort of, and I'm, I'm sort of naturally shy actually. And so I've been sort of charging myself to make more sounds and um, memorizing poems and then letting, letting myself sort of engage them in the air feels like, um, yeah, a different way to, to oh, a different way to celebrate sound. And the, funny you know it's sound is a funny thing my body can do so <laughs> so I'm trying to do more of it yeah it, it was it was actually lovely and um and I think it's the it, it's sound it's it sounds different yeah yeah it does sound very different um and it, it feels good to sort of like be able to I think the thing about um recitation or memorization over reading it from the page is that um I feel like we do really have to embody the poem in a way and yeah it changes it changes us tarfia thanks so much for talking today it's my pleasure really thank you so much it. yeah same come back yeah for sure i will today on living writers um i've been talking with tarfia fazula her books seem um i'm t hetzel until next time Thank you.